Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
Stop working. You never stop. You never stop working.
Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25, Matthew 25, that's where we're going to be today. And uh, this is part three of our sermon series about Jesus is returning. Uh, and uh, today we want to talk about uh, how to be ready, kind of look at that. I'm sure you probably remember this story that happened not too long ago, back in January of 2018. An alert was accidentally sent out. I don't know if you remember that, to uh, over, over cell phones, over television, over radio, over all these different areas in the state of Hawaii. It was a typical Saturday morning. 
tourists, I'm sure, were waking up, getting ready to hit the beach. I'm sure there were parents that were taking their kids to soccer games or, or different kinds of games, and they received all of them this emergency message across their phone. And, and I have it on the screen. Could you imagine receiving this? Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. Oh, and this is not a drill, right? Do you remember that when that came about? Ballistic missile inbound. Seek shelter. For 38 minutes, people had to, had to think that that thought that that was actually going to happen, right? And they started to prepare themselves. Think about what you would do if you had that come across your phone. Uh, they started preparing themselves for the end of their lives, right? For 38 minutes, things that really mattered became the focus. An article came out that looked at the texts that were sent from people in this area during this time period. Many texts said, I love you, obviously, right? You'd want to communicate that. Many texts said, please forgive me. There were many texts that were trying to make things right, to correct things. For 38 minutes, people had their eye on the sky, waiting, watching for that ballistic missile, trying to get everything in order. For 38 minutes, they wondered, when is it going to happen? They thought it could be any moment, right? And so they asked themselves questions that they should have been asking themselves for years, questions that we should be asking ourselves. Questions like, what kind of impact have I had with my life? right? How am I going to be remembered? What conversations have I not had that I need to have right now, right? What decisions do I need to make? Am I right with God? Am I right with God? Am I ready to meet him? Questions about eternity, questions that needed to be answered, but time was short. This week is the final week to kind of look at this series and the return of Jesus, and I pray that this is the spirit that we have. Maybe we just kind of get a realization of how temporary and how fleeting our life is as we look at the return of Jesus. And I hope we all have this recognition that we don't know how much time we have left, right? We're not guaranteed a, another day. I hope that through this series we ask ourselves hard but important questions about eternity. I personally don't want to be lulled into a spiritual state of sleepiness where I'm just going through the motions in life, not focusing in on what's really important, what really matters. I, I hope I realize that today I could stand before my God and my Creator I'm not guaranteed of anything. Just to recap week one, we looked at Matthew 24, and we asked ourselves, are we ready? Jesus is coming back. It may be soon, right? It might not be soon. How long have you heard about Jesus coming back? I know for my 49 years of existence from the time I was really small, I heard that Jesus was coming back soon. These, these sermons are not about trying to figure out what that date is, what that time period is. Or saying that based on Scripture, I believe that within a year, Jesus is coming back. That's not what this is about. In Matthew 24, when the disciples asked him how and when, right? What Jesus doesn't do, he doesn't say is, here's this chart that I'm going to give you that's going to lay it out exactly of when I'm coming back. Or here's this timeline or anything like that. He, he doesn't say that. No, in verse 42, he says, therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Some might say, oh, see, we don't know the, the day or other passages. We don't know the hour that he's coming back, but we can figure out the month. We can figure out the year, and we focus in on that, and we, we miss out on what Jesus was trying to communicate here. Jesus wants us to keep watch, live a life that demonstrates we're keeping watch. Keep watch is in the present imperative tense, meaning he wants us to live with that constant eye in the sky. Is, is the missile coming, right? Is Christ returning? It's a constant state of readiness. Am I ready to meet my maker? 
Don't put off the things that you know you should do, thinking that you can just do it later. We, we have that attitude all the time, right? I got tomorrow, or I got next week. I can talk to them. I can repair that situation. I can do that later. No, he says, be ready. Keep watch, right? That's the posture that we want to be challenged with today. That's the posture that I want to be challenged with today. Jesus drives home this message with Matthew 25 by telling you a few parables. Uh, If you're not there already, turn to that. All three are very important. And you need to read them with the understanding that Jesus is talking about his return. That they build on Jesus telling them that they need to be keeping watch. They need to be ready, right? We're just going to look at the first one, which is the parable of the the ten bridesmaids. I'm using the NLT because I didn't want to say ten virgins. It's the image, though, of the return of Christ, showing Jesus as the groom, right? One day returning for his bride. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. In those days, the the bridesmaids before the wedding would go hang out with the bride. They'd have this time, right? And they would have these lamps with them. The idea was that they would wait together until word came that the groom was coming to get the bride, right? And at this point, they would take those lamps and they would take them out there and light the way, light the path for the groom to receive his bride. That was the bridesmaid's job. So they all got their lamps, they're waiting, but they don't know when the groom is coming. This was the fun part of the ceremony, I think, kind of that expectation, kind of that wondering when is it going to happen, right? It might be a few hours, it might be a few days. Could you imagine the excitement that's going on as they're all hanging out together and talking about it and waiting for that moment? Verse 2, five of them were foolish and five of them were wise, That sounds about right. If you get ten bridesmaids together, right, you're going to have five foolish ones, five wise ones. Just kidding. Verse 3, the five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. We don't know why they didn't have enough, right? It doesn't tell us that. Maybe they just got distracted with all the other wedding happenings, the things that were going on. Maybe they underestimated how long the groom would take. Uh, to come. We don't know the exact reason. What do we know? We just know that they were foolish. But verse 4, the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. We all know what that's like, right? We, we all know that thing that we, we have to do that we're kind of putting off and, and all of a sudden you fall asleep only to be woken up though and you realize, oh, it's time, right? I was waiting for this and, and, and now it's here. You can hear kind of the fear and panic in their voices, right? The groom is here. The time has come. They had one job to do to go meet the groom and to light the way for him to receive his bride. But they're not ready. Verse 9, but the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five maids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. And then Jesus concludes the story by echoing the same thing he said in Matthew 24. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. The problem in the story is the five bridesmaids were foolish. And they weren't keeping watch. They weren't prepared. Jesus is telling us. Jesus is warning us 
today, right? Look, this is how it's going to be when I return. There are going to be people who look like they're ready, but they're not, right? This gives me chills. This scares me when I was preparing this, when I was thinking about this. Where are the foolish bridesmaids that are not ready? Where are they? They're the ones hanging out with the wedding party. The wedding party. Who's the wedding party? It's an image of the church, right? These foolish people are people in churches who think that they're ready, but they're not. They think they're ready for the groom. Could that be someone in here? Could that be somebody listening to this message? There are going to be people who, in here, think they're ready. If you look at them, they look like they're ready, right? If you go to their social media feed, you would think, yep, they're ready. They're posting all these Christian memes and things like that, right? But they're not. And Jesus said, so it will be on this day when I return. Notice, notice, this is, this is the part that really hit me. Notice these bridesmaids cry out, Lord, Lord. They think they know him. They think they have a relationship with him, right? They think that, but how does God respond? I don't know you. I don't know you. I'm worried. Preaching this right now, that some of you in here, that some of you listening to this online, right, you think you're ready, but you're being foolish, and you don't really have a relationship with him. Maybe because of the temporary distractions of this world, they're getting in the way. Maybe the temporary trappings, going after this, going after that, right? What questions need to be asked today, right now? I pray that we do that. What things have gotten in the way of you knowing, knowing Christ, right? What things have gotten in the way of you having a relationship with Jesus? If you keep reading these two parables, they build on this to help determine, am I ready? Am I living now how I should be? It's the parable of the talents, the next one that looks at, am I being a good steward with what God has entrusted to me, my money, my time, my talents, right? And then we have the parable of the sheep and goats, which is about Jesus separating people to really, uh, how am I treating other people around me? You know, we are a holiness denomination holiness. And people think that's all about doing the right things. But at its heart, it's about two things. Holiness is about two things. Loving God with everything, right? And loving each other as we love ourselves. If we do those two things, we'll do all the things right. We'll keep the commandments of the Lord. But those two things have to be the focus. And that's what's the separation of the sheep and goats. My friends, the the mirror question, remember last week, the mirror question, like, are we living foolishly with the short time that we have left? I'm 49. I'm on the downhill. I know my time is short, right? No Pomerich male has lived past 70. I got 20 years, maybe, unless he comes back before that. Time's short, right? I heard a testimony of a guy in prison He shared a deep theological truth. He said the worst thing that happened to him was he went to prison. And he said the best thing that happened to him was he went to prison. Because that's where he met Christ, in that prison, right? He went on and said it was when everything was stripped away from him that he finally began to see things clearly. He began to understand that the purpose of this life is to prepare for the next, not to focus in on the airline seat that we talked about last week, right? He said he never experienced true freedom until everything was taken away. Before prison, he said life was about impressing people. Life was about what kind of car do I drive? What kind of uh, house do you live in? And he said when those things were taken away, though, he was finally able to focus in on the most important things. 
You realize those things were temporary. Those things will pass. Those things will rust. But when you have nothing, all you can do is prepare for the next life. If you were to look at this guy in prison, you might think, that guy's not ready. Everybody in here is ready, but that guy's not ready. But that guy was, right? Five people with lamps that look like they're ready, but don't have enough oil. A lamp without oil is a picture of religion. That's what it is, right? We can all say we're followers of Jesus Christ, right? That's easy to say. We can call ourselves Christians. But what is faith to you? For many people who call themselves Christians, faith is a drawer in the dresser. One drawer in your dresser. You have another drawer for your family. You have another drawer for your life. You have another drawer for entertainment, right? You have a day that you open up that one drawer. Maybe it's Sundays. Maybe it's Wednesdays too. But the other days, you open up the other drawers. That's one way of living your life. But faith should be the dresser that all your drawers fit into. That's what it should be. That's what a life fully surrendered to Jesus Christ looks like. Do you have that? Is your life surrendered to him? In the story, all ten bridesmaids fall asleep. This is alluding to that they all died, right? But notice all ten died. Not all ten were prepared before they died. Five had oil. Five were running low. Five weren't prepared Notice that they were called foolish, and notice that they weren't called evil, right? That's what we tend to think about. It's not the story of the ten, and the five were wise, and the, t- and the, and the other five were wicked. No, five were foolish. Are we being foolish, right? Foolish people say things like, uh, I'm going to do this or that, this or that, but you know, I'll do it tomorrow when I get around to it. I just need a little bit more time. Foolish people have great intention, intentions for tomorrow. I'll get to that when I get to that. But they just never get around to making that decision or doing that thing that God is calling them to do. They put it off. God, I know that you're calling me to do this, to give this, to say this to somebody, or to make this decision, but now is not the right time. I'll do it later, right? Foolish people think they have more time. We've all been there, right? We've all put off things. But Jesus warns them, and I pray that we take this warning very seriously today, right? He says, I'm coming back like a thief in the night. Be ready. Keep watch. Larry Burkett was the founder of Crown Financial. If you've heard his radio program, he used to be on, right? Wrote many books on, on money. He was on radio shows. I think he impacted tens of millions of people around the world. And he got this terminal illness. And he managed to live with it, though, for years. And he said there was something that really allowed him to get his priorities straight. He said if uh, he could do one thing for the body of Christ, he said he would give them all a terminal illness, but put it on hold, not have it activated, but not know when it would be activated. Think about what would happen if you do that, if that would happen to you. Your priorities would get rearranged, right? What's the most important thing would quickly go to the top and the head of that, right, for all aspects of our lives. He said because of his terminal diagnosis, he measured everything in light of eternity with that in mind. And he said that his terminal illness brought brought him the blessing of perspective. Today, are you ready? You might look like you're ready because you're here in church, but that doesn't tell you if you're ready or not. How do you know if you're ready? How do, you, how do you know if you're running low on oil? I'd just like to give you a few things to look at in the mirror. Number one, you know you're running low on oil when you start running low on grace, right? If we have our eyes 
set on eternity, then we'll recognize and appreciate the grace that's been given to us. And if that's the case, then we should be the most gracious people living on this planet, right? That should mark us. The more we recognize and the more we really believe that we've been saved by grace, right, that heaven is our home, that Jesus has made it so that we can experience forgiveness for sins, right, the more gracious we should be. Is your life characterized by grace? Is that going to be on your tombstone? This was a man filled with God's grace. This is a woman filled with God's grace, right? Or are you struggling in that department? If you're struggling, then truly ask yourselves, have I experienced, am I experiencing God's grace? Look to the cross. Could you imagine experiencing God's grace, his forgiveness, but not being willing to extend it to somebody else? Could you imagine that? The same grace that you've been given the same forgiveness that you've been given. Man, I've been forgiven much in my lifetime. I'm wholly dependent on that grace, and I want to be a person that extends that grace to others. There's a warning, right? The Bible tells us in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. How are you doing in the forgiveness department? Because this is a major roadblock to your walk with Christ, right? A Christian that can't forgive and holds on to that thing is a Christian with an empty lamp. I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of shocked when I hear people saying, that they're giving up on somebody. I'm probably guilty of it. I don't want to point the finger at other people. I don't want to ever be there, though. Don't bother with that kid. Don't bother with that addict, that person. I fully believe we don't enable. And sometimes we've got to have that hard love, right? We've got to cut people off. But at the same time, we never write people off. Never. There's always hope in Christ, right? There's always a day where Saul becomes Paul. And that's what we want to be people that extend that grace to those people. Number two, you know you're running low on oil when you find yourself running low on joy. Peter wrote to a group of Christians that was persecuted and, uh, had taken much from them. They lost their homes. They were separated from their families. They were driven to other cities. They had lost their property. They had lost their possessions. They had no rights. Their future seemed to be in doubt. But listen to what he tells them in 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9. Though you have not seen him talking about Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. These are people who have nothing. But that joy is possible. For you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Right? What's been taken from you? Your health, your marriage, your money, your time. You might be tempted to exchange that contagious joy, that glorious joy, inexpressible glorious joy, for a contingent joy. If I only get this back, if this only happens, if I get this job, if I get this person to love me, right, if I can uh, get whatever this thing is, then I'll be happy. That's the lure of American culture. But by the time old age comes and you've ridden that roller coaster of life with the ups and downs, contingent joy leads to a wounded and bitter person. Courageous joy, though, however, turns us into strong people. Courageous joy sets the joy of our salvation in our hearts fully on Jesus. And no one or nothing can take that away from you. Right? Is your joy set on the Lord. 
Joy, thankfulness should mark us. Will it make your tombstone? Is that a person full of joy and thankfulness, right? When you experience God's grace and what's to come, when you realize that this is just a short plane ride to an eternal destination, then you can have joy no matter what is happening to you here because it's in Christ. Lastly, you know you're running low on oil when you find yourself running low on hope. I was watching a sermon of a pastor who was talking about a conversation that he had with this uh, woman in between church services. He didn't know this woman, but he knew her husband. His husband had served the church faithfully for 30 years. She grabbed him because she wanted to show him a couple notes that her husband wrote. Uh, so she pulled out the pieces of paper and showed them his last handwritten final words, one of the things that he wrote down was this. I don't know if you can see that, but it's love you. That's what he wanted his wife to know, right? He also wrote something else before he would take his final breath. He wrote this. It's a little bit harder to see, right, to make out because the words are written over top. If I tried to kind of separate two of the words if you'd go to the next slide. Not afraid. Right? Hope is something a person with oil in their jar has that can't be faked. Like with this gentleman, right? Being prepared makes facing our final moments something that we can have excitement over and not fear over. C.S. Lewis talks about one day in eternity, all the pain and suffering of this world would be remembered as little more than a bad night's sleep at a cheap motel. C.S. Lewis knew a lot about pain, a lot about grief and suffering. He understood, though, that one day in the future, one day in heaven, we would see things completely different for this life. So what's our role then? What do we do? Where do we go from here? Our role is to make sure that we're prepared and that our lamps are filled with oil. Why? Why is that important? What were those lamps about? What were those lamps about in the parable that Jesus told? They helped light the way for the groom to get his bride. My friends, that's what we're called to do as followers of Christ. We help light the way for the groom to get his bride. Who's his bride? The church, right? We want people to find their Savior. We want him to find them, for them to be reunited. We want people to come to know Christ. Are you living your life with that purpose? Are you? Or are you so busy with work and this and that 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 really doesn't play a role in the way you live your life? Is that a priority of your life, seeing people come to know Christ? Or are you just too busy, too distracted, too foolish not to have oil? Today is our Friendsgiving, right? A time to celebrate. We were once friends, but now we're family. But we can't forget the last part of that, right? We're on a great mission. That's what it's about. That's why we gather together, so that we can join in together on this great mission mission. If we're just about that first two parts, close this church down, right? There's no point unless we're on mission. That's what we have to be about. The mission is close to being over. It gets closer every day, right? Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave us the great commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. How are you doing with that? 
How are we doing with that, right? In the last two years, we've baptized 25 people. Praise God, but there's a lot more to do, right? The trumpet that announces Jesus' return is closer to coming, closer to being played out. Our time is short. Our job now is more important than ever to be about this mission, right? To shine our lights and point the way for people to find Christ. Go into all the worlds. Go into your world. What is your world? Is it your school? Is it your workplace? Is it your neighborhood? Right? Those are all of our worlds that we go into. Go into all the world and teach them, right? Baptize them. How are you doing with that? Does that even cross your mind when you go into work? There might be somebody that God puts in my path that I can share the good news with. Does that cross your mind when you're talking to your neighbor? Does that cross your mind when you go to school and you have this friendship or that friendship? Right? Go into all the worlds. Go into your worlds. In Matthew 24, Jesus connects the timing of his return to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Matthew 24, 14 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Kind of a hint. In the year 2000, there were an estimated 3,500 people groups that had never heard the gospel in the world. 3,500 people groups. By 2017, that number was down to 2,000 people groups. And today, that number who hasn't heard the gospel is under 1,000. Do you see how that's ramping up? Do you see how that's increasing? I, I heard one report that it's under 100 and that it might be filled in the next couple months. And then the end will come. The pace is picking up. Time is short, my friends. Am I saying that Jesus is coming back in months or three years or anything like that? No. I'm saying, I'm asking, am I ready? Am I ready? Am I ready as a dad with my family? Am I ready as a husband? Am I ready as a pastor? Am I ready as a, a neighbor? Am I ready with my coworkers, right? Do I have a light that points to Jesus Christ, that encourages people to find him? I'm asking that of you too. Is your lamp full of oil, or are you going to fill that tomorrow? Are you focused in on what you should be focused in on? Are you lighting that path to Jesus Christ right for those around you? Or are you too distracted, too busy? It's easy in our culture to get to that place, right? God, help us. God, reveal to us the hour that we live in. I don't want anyone to be one of those foolish bridesmaids that's knocking on the door after they die. And God says, I don't know you. Today, if there's breath in your lungs, it's not too late. You can know him. You can accept his gift of grace. You can start a relationship with him. If you do know him, you can be a light that leads people to Jesus Christ. You can share the hope that you have. Hey, I'm a wicked person. The only hope that I have is Jesus Christ. That's what you can share with people. The only chance for me is the cross, that there's a God who loved me enough to die for me, and I want to live for him. And you can have that too. You can know the God who loves you enough to do that, right? Today you can be that light. You can share that hope. God can use you. God can call you to join him in what he's doing. He's at work working in your neighbor's life right now. He's at work working in your coworker's life right now. And he's asking you to join him in what he's doing to reach these people. And the question is, will you say yes or will you say maybe tomorrow? Is he knocking on the door of your heart saying, surrender everything to him right now and live for him? 
And is your answer going to be, yes, I will do that? I will repent. I will change my ways. I will live for you. Or is it, I'll do that tomorrow? That's the questions that are before us. Will you surrender your life? Let us be people who light our lamps and prepare the way, right? Let us recognize this week that God may give us an opportunity to speak to somebody and let us not be foolish and put it off. I know what's going to happen. We're going to go from this place and before we know it, we're going to focus in on other things. We're going to get lulled to sleep. We're going to get distracted by the things of this life. We're going to think we're going to make changes. We're going to say we're going to make changes, but then we're going to be like, I forgot about it. You need to make decisions right now. You need to make decisions on whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do right now. That's to know him, know him. I'll lead you in a prayer. That's to surrender everything to him, do it. If it's to reach out to somebody that doesn't know Christ, that God's been laying on your hearts, text them right now. Go out of here and call them. Go out of here and go meet with them. Because if you go out there, I know how it is with me. I start to forget. Don't be foolish. Pray about it, right? You may think you have time, but God reminds us, time is short. I was reminded of that with a person passed away that I had no thoughts of that person passing away, right? Totally surprised me. We're not guaranteed another day. Are you ready? Would you stand with me? I want to ask you some questions. What impact am I having with my life on the people around me? Am I pointing people to Jesus Christ? What decisions have I been putting off that I really need to make? Here's a big one. Am I right with God? Is there something that I need to repent of? Something that I've been doing that I need to ask forgiveness for and lay that thing down? Right? Do I need to lay everything down? Do I need to forgive somebody? Do I need to seek forgiveness from someone? Have I confessed my sins? Have I confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and that my trust is in him and only in him? Right? Have I been baptized? Have I declared to the world that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? Right? Have I surrendered my life to him fully? I want you to ask yourselves those questions. The Holy Spirit is going to be speaking to you about something. What's your answer? What's your answer? Make that commitment to him. Don't put it off. Don't be foolish. I don't want anyone of you to be knocking on that door and say, Lord, Lord, I think I'm good. I thought I knew you. But I was so busy in life doing my thing, living that selfish life, that I missed it. Don't let that be you. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you would be speaking to our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray if there's somebody who doesn't know you and you're knocking on their hearts, I pray that right now, Lord, that you would enter into a relationship with you. Father, I pray that they would confess their sins to you. Lord, that they would realize that they are a sinner in need of your grace. Father, I pray that they would realize that you died on a cross for their sins though that, so that they could have a relationship with you. And Father, I pray that they would ask for that. Lord, come into my life. Lord, I am a sinner. There is no hope for me. There is nothing good in me. Lord, I just confess it all to you. Lord, be my Savior. Be my Lord. 
Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Change my heart. Lord, the the things that I desire, I don't want to desire anymore. I want to live for you. Make me into a new creation, Father. I pray that they'd pray a prayer similar to that, Lord, and that they'd give you their lives. Father, I pray if there's somebody in here who, who we, what we sang about, who's struggling with to lay something down, whatever that is, maybe it's everything, Lord. Father, would you help them to make that decision right now? Father, I know there's people in here that want to witness to their friends. There's people in here who want to go into their schools, want to go into their workplaces, want to go into their neighborhoods, but they're scared. They don't think that they know what to say. Father, would you remind them that you are the one who will give them the words? Father, would you remind them that they have a testimony to what you have done in their life already? They were once dead, but now they're alive because of their faith in you. Father, and they can share that one thing. Lord, give us opportunities wherever we're at in our worlds. Father, let us us be burdened for the people, for our friends, our families, our neighbors who don't know you. Put that burden and that concern on our heart. May it drive us to our knees. May it drive us to cry out for you to intervene. Lord. Father, if somebody's hanging out to something that they need to confess, unforgiveness, a sin that they need to lay down, Lord, would you help them with that? Would you help them to fall towards the cross? Would you help them to receive your grace and forgiveness, Lord? And would you help them to pass that on in whatever area, Lord? Lord, we don't want to be a church that just meets in here. We don't want to be a country club. Lord, we want to be on mission. We want people to come to know you. We want to be a part of that. It scares us, Lord, but we want to be part of that. Would you take us along for the ride? Would you use us in whatever way? Father, would you be glorified in all that we do? Lord, we love you and we give you praise. In your name we pray, amen.